Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you, first service crowd. It is wonderful to be here. And uh, certainly when I arrived, it was sunny. Hopefully it's still sunny. And uh, it's lovely. I think the sun coming out helps, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It does. So it's a great joy to be with you this morning. And uh, very often I'm part of the teaching series that we are doing here in the bridge and I'm jumping in. But I've been given a sort of a freebie today. I've been given the opportunity to sort of teach on whatever I want, which is always a dangerous thing. Um, But I felt very, very strongly to teach on something that sounds probably a little bit unusual Um, And yet I I really feel the urgency in my spirit today to bring this to you. Uh, And I want to talk for a few moments about praying through the silence. Praying through the silence because I think that's a more common experience than we want to admit. And we want to absolutely talk about the moments of great victory And the moments of great breakthrough and celebrate those. And we say amen to all of those, of course. That's what we want. But actually, a common experience in my life. Can I say that uh, carefully and vulnerably? I hope that doesn't upset anybody. But a common experience in my life has often been learning to pray in the silence. When you're praying and sort of nothing's happening. Where do we go there in the context of that? And we've got a supreme example of this. In Jesus himself. And so uh, if you've got a Bible and you want to follow a reading with me, uh, if you're a guest and you don't have a Bible, it's a relatively short reading so you can sort of listen to me read it to you. But this is an amazing story and I'm going to read it from Matthew chapter 26. So if you want to look that up, you can. Very first gospel in the New Testament part of the Bible and it's Matthew 26 and I'll start reading in a moment from verse 36. And um. Just to give you a little bit of context to this, we're jumping into the story at a crucial moment. Jesus has just celebrated his final Passover with his young disciples. He's sort of told them what's about to happen, though I'm pretty sure none of them have any clue what's about to happen. You know, it will be after it's all happened that the dots will definitely connect for most of them. And he has shared this beautiful Passover. They've now moved to Gethsemane where Jesus is praying. And one of the disciples has slipped out in order to lead um, a group of people to Jesus, uh, to betray Jesus and hand Jesus over ultimately to be crucified. So this is a crucial moment. We've just had the final supper, the Passover. Judas is on his way with with the crowd. And Jesus here is in this amazing, amazing in-between moment. And it says this. Let me read it to you uh, from verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked. Watch and pray 
so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. There's an experience we all know something about. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, uh, sorry, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. (laughs) So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time saying the same thing. Mm. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Wow. I, I speak to my lovely uh, sister uh, every week. So I was raised with a brother and a sister. My brother um, is in heaven. Now he passed away uh, a few years ago. So my sister is my last remaining sibling. In fact, with my mother and father also passed and also in heaven, uh, she's, she's my last like contact on earth. So with my family. So we've always been very, very close and we speak every week. We speak every Saturday normally. Um, I mean, we can speak other times as well, but that's our, that's our scheduled time to have a chat. And we have a good old Saturday morning chat. Now, I didn't get to speak to her yesterday because I was teaching just down the road in Goldbourne. So I will ring her on the way from Bolton to Gloucester today. I'll give her a ring this afternoon and we'll have, we'll have a good old chin wag um, as I'm in the car, hands free hands-free. I'll chat with her uh, in the car. And my sister loves talking. It's a sort of a family trait. We're good at it. You've probably guessed that. Those who have endured my teaching over many months and years here in the bridge, you know that I can talk for both Ireland and England all together. So, so I can do that. Um, and, and we were talking recently uh, on the phone and she was just into something. She was talking away, going for it. And suddenly she stopped and she said to me, are you there? <laughs> now, now, I was there and I was listening. And normally when she talks, I go, mm-hmm, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. So I'm making these sort of weird noises that acknowledge that I am there. But for a period of the conversation, I sort of went quiet while she was just getting into this and talking away. But, but because I hadn't made any noise, because I hadn't responded, she thought that my silence was an indication of my absence. She thought maybe the phone had gone down or the signal had been lost or somehow we weren't connected anymore. And my sister just at that moment needed a little bit of reinsurance. Are you still there? Are you there, John? And I said, of course I am, Margaret. Go ahead, keep going, darling. I am listening to you, honestly. Honestly, I am. I'm listening to everything you have to say. And you know, that little experience reminded me of one of the most challenging spiritual principles we as followers of Jesus often have to contend with. The moments where God is seemingly silent. And we just need the reassurance. Are you there? (laughs) 
Are you still there? We've been singing earlier on, I'm praying to the God of Moses. I love that song. I hope, hope maybe I can twist the arm of the band into finishing with that song at the end. They may have another brilliant song lined up, but I love that song. I, I absolutely lean into that song hard because uh, I, we're not just praying with a hope to respond, but we're praying to someone. There's, there's someone that we're leaning into in the context of that. But sometimes when we are doing all the talking and the Lord doesn't seem to be doing any responding. Are you there? Are you still there? And someone needs to hear this and this will be my sort of repeat big idea all the way through the sermon today. His silence is not absence. Now that's not a cop-out. It can feel like a cop-out, but it's not. There's truth in that amazing idea that just because the father is silent doesn't mean he's absent. That's a hard one to manage because our, we want to hear him speak. We want him hear him responding. But the truth of what we know about him is he'll never abandon the works of his hands. He won't leave you and he will not abandon you. He will not abandon you in any moment of your life. Yet sometimes the silence almost makes it feel like, are you there? You still there? Are you, are you with me? Does that make sense? Or is that just me? Okay. And that's certainly been my experience, both as a follower of Jesus and as a leader of followers of Jesus. I felt like the silence is deafening. <laughs> is there anybody there? We may think that that's just our experience, but actually when you look at the life of Jesus, he also went through that. That's a head bender right there. That Jesus, he also experienced moments where he prayed and yet there was no response. In fact, we've got one here in Gethsemane. All four gospel writers talk about Gethsemane, which means for the gospel story, it's a big deal. It's a big moment. And they all bring their own little twist to the story, but we get this incredible insight into the paradox of Jesus' experience. Here he is, absolutely at the center of the will of God. Here he is, a man of prayer. Here he is, a man of spirituality. A man like no other man. And here he is, in the throes of a desperately difficult moment. A moment where he is literally feeling the squeeze. He knows he's about to die. And yet there's a pressing in on him. It's no coincidence and it's a gorgeous poetic God incidence that in the place where Jesus is feeling pressed, the name of that place, Gethsemane, literally means oil press. It's an olive grove and it's probably also a place where they didn't just grow olive trees, but where they maybe also pressed the olives as well. So Gethsemane literally means a place of pressing oil. And Jesus is being pressed at this moment. And in the midst of the press, what does he do? He goes to prayer. So if you look at all four accounts of Gethsemane, prayer and Gethsemane are sort of synonymous. It's hard to think of Gethsemane if you've done any reading on it and not think about prayer. You've got the prayerfulness of Jesus and you've got the prayerlessness of his disciples. He seemed to struggle to stay awake. That's probably more our experience than the other one, right? So we, we struggle to stay awake sometimes in the midst of that. And, and Gethsemane and prayer are almost synonymous. And we, we have some of the most intimate insights into the prayer life of Jesus in this story. But what is remarkable, what's striking, is that although Jesus prays, the Father does not answer. 
That's easy to miss that because we know what's coming. Right? He's going to leave here. He's going to die for the sins of the world and we're all going to live happily ever after sort of thing. And it's amazing. But there's an awkward moment here. And all four gospel writers highlight the awkwardness. Jesus is praying and the Father is not speaking. Wow. And that awkwardness can either make you run away from the story or a bit like me, because I'm an awkward sort of a character when it comes to the Bible, I lean into this. I go, hold on, what's going on here? All four gospel writers want us to see something that's very, very powerful because the Father has spoken a lot to Jesus. He spoke to Jesus at his baptism. He spoke to Jesus at the big moment of his transfiguration. He spoke to Jesus after Jesus entered Jerusalem. And these are all public moments of the Father speaking to Jesus. So big moment baptism, big moment transfiguration, big moment entering Jerusalem. The Father has spoken and yet here's a big moment. Silence. Oh. And, and I believe that's deliberately written like that so that we should ask the question, hold on a minute. The Father speaks at the baptism. The Father speaks at the transfiguration. The Father speaks at entry into Jerusalem. And yet here at probably one of the most crucial moments of Jesus' life, the Father like hello and that should make us ask why what's going on here in the awkwardness don't run away from it lean into it and one of the biggest ideas that we're learning from this although I want to suggest three helpful hopefully helpful practical principles for you but one of the biggest ideas that we're learning here is that even though the father is silent the father is present and if you as a follower of Jesus can grab that and truly believe that that is a game changing idea it really is for some people it will feel like a bit of a cop-out but actually, I've learned this is not a cop-out. This is, this is dynamic life-giving truth. That, that even in the silence, I'm going to believe he is there. You with me? But what else do we learn? What do we learn from Jesus when he prays in the silence? Or if, to put it better, prays through the silence. Three little hints, I think, in the story, in the text, that I think might help you. Let me just say, they have really, 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 really helped me. All right, so I'm sharing something that I hope will help you because they've been transformational to me in my own journey. So, idea number one. When we pray and the Father is silent, what should we do? Well, first thing we do is we return to who? We return to who? Right, John, what do you mean by that in, in that particular idea? Well, well, did you notice how Jesus starts each of his prayers? He starts each prayer as my father. I love that. And, and of course, we've got the third prayer. In the Matthew account, you've got verse 39, the first prayer, and he prays this, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. So that's in verse 39. If you move down to verse 42, 
He says, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And then later on in verse 44, we're told he prayed the same thing. So we're not told exactly what he prayed, but he prayed the same thing. So we're assuming that the third prayer also started with my father. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, because they want to learn to pray, because he's really good at praying, he says, when you pray, say, our father. And that's not just beautiful poetry. That's Jesus doing something really dynamic. He is bringing us to who God is. Whatever way the prayer gets answered or isn't answered, at this moment, is not the point. The point is, we are coming to the Father. We're coming to the Father of heavenly lights. We're coming to the one true and living God. And that is such a powerful and dynamic idea. When, when we are wondering, if you like, where you are God... We respond with who you are. Okay? Now, why is that important? Because knowing who he is helps us to understand his character, nature, and behavior, even if at a given moment, it doesn't look like he's doing what we want him to do. So, in other words, we learn, we Can I say this carefully? We train our hearts not to see him through the lens of our experience. But we learn to see him for who he is. And then address our experience from that. Come on, are you with me? Sure, is that making sense to you? This is a really important principle. It's been a game-changing principle for me. What humans are prone to do is if something happens to them, if something happens to us, if we're not careful, we tend to judge God through what's happening. Why is this happening to me? God's let me down. God's failed me. Why isn't? So what we do is something's gone wrong today or something isn't happening the way we want it to happen. And so we somehow then project our view of God through the experience. Now, I totally understand that. That's very, very, very normal. And that's very, very human. The problem with that is depending on your experience then will depend on how you see God. So if you're having a great day and everything's lining up uh, and, you know, the, the birds are singing and the ducks are aligned, then God's great. Your father rocks. But if you're in your midst of a valley, if you're in the midst of difficulty, if prayers are not being answered and there's just silence and we then learn to look at the father through that experience, then he's not a good dad at all. Come on, are you with me? Does that make sense to you? This is not, this is not copy. This is me and you learning to lean in. When it's not working out the way we wanted it to work out. And I can't always explain to people why things are the way they are. But here's what I've tried to learn to do. My father is still my father. My father is still good. My father is still gracious. My father is still kind. My father is still the same father who has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus and given me every good, perfect gift that I have in my life that has come down from him. That's still true, even though I'm in the midst of an olive press. He's still 
there. Does that make sense? We mustn't allow what we are experiencing to determine our view of him. We have to learn to see him and then translate our experience through those eyes. When the Lord speaks to Moses back in Exodus 34, God gives Moses an incredible insight into himself. In the Bible, you'll see lots of people speaking about God. But when God speaks about himself, we really do need to pay attention. Because it's an important insight into his character. And here's what the Lord says to Moses. Here's how the Lord describes himself to Moses. Exodus 34. The Lord describes himself as compassionate, gracious, slow to anger abounding in loving kindness and abounding in faithfulness. Wow. That revelation is so important that in the Old Testament part of the Bible, it is repeated in one form or another no less than 27 times. Why is that important? Because we have moments of silence. Why is this important? Because we have moments of pain, moments of difficulty, moments of disappointment, moments when the God of Moses doesn't answer, when the Red Sea doesn't open, when the giant doesn't fall. Come on. When the lions bite. Come on now. You're very quiet. It's true. He's the God who can open the Red Sea. But when he doesn't open the Red Sea, he's still the God of heaven, right? Come on, are you with me? When he opens the Red Sea, we go, he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. Look, the Red Sea's open, come on. When he doesn't open the Red Sea, we go, God, where are you? Well, he's still compassionate. He's still gracious. He's still slow to anger. He's still abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. And that's why Jesus' prayer, when Jesus starts his prayer with Father, in fact, Mark says that he starts with Abba, Father. The tenderness, the intimacy of this expression. What is Jesus doing? He's expressing trust in who? In the midst of a moment of silence. Even though the Father's not speaking, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust in who the Father is. Is that a word for someone here? You don't know why the Father's not responding. I can't explain it. Cookie can't explain it. Aaron can't explain it. None of us can explain it. So what do we do when we can't explain it? We go back to who he is. You are compassionate. You are gracious. You are slow to anger. And you are abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. I sat with a young woman on Monday. Dear friends of ours. And outside of a miracle, she's going to die. 24 years ago, she was healed miraculously of cancer. In the 24 years between then and now, she's had three children. She's written multiple books. Her and her husband have pastored a fantastic church and she has launched a ministry called Dignify which helps young people and young adults and people who are struggling with pornography. Fantastic woman. Her body is full of cancer. I don't know why. And we've prayed 
Everyone's prayed. She's prayed. I've prayed. My wife prayed. We went down to see them on Monday in their home in Watford. We all just prayed and cried and cried and prayed. Cleaning snot constantly off my nose while I'm trying. You know, it's very hard to pray holding hands while stuff's running out of your nose at the same time. You just need the Lord. Just wipe my nose while I'm doing this, will you? It was, it was, it was an amazing moment, but also a terrible moment. It was a terrible moment of tension. But she said this. Here's what she said. She said, the Lord owes me nothing. He has given me everything. And if he wants me to go, I am ready to go. He said, I don't want to go. I want to stay. I want to I live a bit longer. I've got stuff to do. But it was the confidence of a faith that said, I'm not getting the answer I want, but he is still a magnificent, generous God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not a cop-out. That's not me and you pulling a rabbit from the Bible hut. That's real faith. That's Gethsemane faith. That's Jesus' faith. That's the faith that goes, I'm not getting the answer I want, but you're still my father. Come on now. Come on, somebody say amen. Come on. I know this is tough. And you're, you're wishing that Cookie had given me a title now to preach on rather than and letting me preach on this. But it's so, so true. When there is silence, remember who? Secondly, when there is silence, we remember what? Now this is where it's got, if you felt, thought the first one was a bit edgy, the second one, you probably need to tighten your underpants a little bit more here because this is, this is a bit challenging. Look at Jesus' words. This is where it gets really awkward. Listen now. Jesus said in this, in this prayer, not as I will, but you will. And here's the problem. Jesus is asking for something that he already knows what the Father has said. Awkward moment. Don't rush past this. The awkward moments are Holy Spirit inspired to help us grow. The Father has already told Jesus what's going to happen. Jesus has already repeated that. In fact, as early in the Gospel of Matthew, as Matthew 16, Jesus says this, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. In fact, if you go back a little bit in our passage in Matthew 26, he quotes Zechariah the prophet to his disciples and he says, the shepherd is about to be struck and all the sheep are going to scatter. So here we have a paradox. We've got Jesus. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Work with me now. You've got Jesus asking for something to which the father has already given an answer. See, see why you haven't heard many sermons on that? That's awkward. That is seriously awkward. And here's the awkward, difficult truth that somebody in the room has to hear. Somebody has to hear this. Please don't be offended. Don't, don't run away from this. But sometimes when we pray, we're asking the Father for an answer that he's already given. 
And sometimes as humans, we don't like the answer. So we, we go again. Any chance? Any chance that maybe, maybe we can change the agenda? Jesus is saying to the Father, I know I have to drink this cup. Is there a chance? Now I know that's difficult for us because Jesus is God. But he's asking, is there a chance that there's maybe another cup? There's a different cup. There's another way to do this. Now, deep down, he knows, he knows, he knows there probably isn't. But he's still praying it. And that, I'm asking why? Why is that in the Bible? Why is Jesus praying for something that he knows already what the Father has said on it? And why are we giving insight into that? If I was recording that, I might not have, I might not have written that down because it, it's sort of, it's too much of a difficult moment. But I think it's in there because there is a deep, powerful spiritual lesson that sometimes we have to learn. And it is a deeply difficult lesson to learn. And in a world where if we're not careful, we treat God as a sort of a fulfiller of all our desires and a giver of everything we ask. This is really difficult. And it's this. Sometimes the Lord, the Father doesn't answer because I've already spoken. It's already, it's all, now he might not have actually literally spoken words to you, but he may have spoken to us some stuff that's in here. And we're asking him for stuff, we're asking him for things that actually he's already spoken on. Is that for someone in the room? Are you praying for a prayer and maybe, maybe the Lord's already spoken to you directly, specifically. Or, or maybe you know you've bounced on to something in the Bible or some spiritual advisors around you and helpers and shepherds around you who've sort of said to you, this is probably not what the Father wants for you. But you're praying anyway. Now that might only apply to one, two, three people in the room. Maybe, maybe more, maybe less. It's a very unique and niche idea. But I've certainly had this. As a teenager, I tried to set my life on a direction that I knew deep down was not the will of God. I knew God did not want me to join the police. I knew that God did not want me to have a career in the British Army. I knew that. But I went for it anyway. (laughs) And lo and behold, yea, verily, when the father shut the door so that I couldn't be those things, I then went into a world of prayer of trying to convince him that I had the better idea than him. Now listen, I stand before you And I am so grateful. He did not give me what I wanted. But I really wanted it. And because he didn't give me it, well, God doesn't love me. Doesn't care about me. Actually, It would be years before I would really understand how much he loved me. 
and how much he cared for me and what he was saving me from, primarily from myself, but maybe from a terrible, terrible thing. Some of us are in, in the silence and for someone in the room, the silence is not because the father's against you. He's actually really, really for you. And if he says yes to what you want, it may be what you want, but it may not be what you need. Now listen, that's not easy stuff. That's, this is Premier League spirituality now. This is not quick fix abracadabra. This is real hard stuff. But if you will embrace that, it is transformation. Does that make sense? All right, here's the last wee idea and then, and then we'll draw it to a close. You'll be glad to hear. The third principle in praying silence is to release how. Release how. So return to who? Remember what? Release how. Look at this. These are probably some of the greatest words that Jesus ever spoke in his whole life. And, he, and all his words are magnificent. But listen to these words. Listen to these words. Ladies and gentlemen, don't rush past these words. May your will be done. They're great words. They're not just good words. They're the greatest words that any human can speak. They're the greatest words of faith that you can utter. When we're not getting what we want, when it's not working the way we hoped it would work, but in faith, we positively give ourselves to this and say, okay, whatever, I will embrace this. And may your will be done. And, and there's two ways to say may your will be done. There is the, okay, all right, all right, let go of my arm. You can do what you want. There is, if you don't do what I want, I'll break your arm sort of thing, right? There's the, I'll do your will under duress, but the father doesn't want that. In fact, that's not his tactics. He's not an abuser. He's a loving father who wants his children to do what he wants because they want to do what he wants. The other way to say your will be done is, Lord, your way is best. Even if it means drinking a cup, it's going to be really painful. I will drink that cup. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes we, we look at this and we think that that presents a faith of weakness and a faith of, a faith of failure. But I, in our modern 21st century world, I think that presents a faith of real strength, of dynamic hope that we say to people that actually we serve a God who can open the Red Sea. We serve a God who can pull down giants. We serve a God who can heal the sick. And we serve a God who can save the most broken, faraway person. We serve a God who can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Because that's the God we've been singing about today and we should always sing about him. But we also serve a God whose will is best. No matter what. 
And what he's calling me to is, is, is to come to the place that, Lord, you know what's best in this situation and I release the how of this moment to you. I, I, I'm praying and I'll continue to pray until I feel like I can't or feel like I shouldn't or feel like you tell me to stop. So I'm going to pray. But Lord God, in the midst of my praying, I'm going to release the how to you. So that ultimately we declare my times are in your hands, O Lord. That's not a cop out. That's real faith. Amen? That makes sense? I don't know if the band, band you want to come in. Get ready. Somebody in the room needs to hear this. The silence of the Father is not absence. John, are you there? I was always there. Just because I wasn't speaking doesn't mean I wasn't listening. Just because I wasn't speaking doesn't mean I wasn't present. Somebody in the room needs to hear this in the silence. He is there. He is with you. He is with you. And I know you're wondering, come on, Lord, let's get this done. I, I know, I, I know that's, that's what you want. I, I know that's where you are. And I totally, 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 genuinely understand that. I have been and will be in the future again <laughs> in moments where you're going, come on, Lord, let's do this. Yeah. But in the moments where he doesn't do it, or at least he doesn't do it the way we want him to do it in the time that we want him to do it, in the way that we want him to do it, we need to remember who he is. He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. We need to remember and someone, and maybe it's just one person, but someone in the room needs to hear it again, that the reason the Father's silent for you is because he's already spoken. That's a hard one. And we need to remember and have the courage and faith to release how to him. His way is better than our way. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. His wisdom surpasses our wisdom. Nothing I can do, nothing I am, nothing I can come up with is better than his plan. And sometimes, sometimes, we will wish he had a different plan. But his plan is always for the good of his purpose and for the blessing of his children. Cookie started the day with fantastically brilliant, beautiful, intimate and funny stories of a dad who just loves his kids, wants the best for his kids. And our father is a gazillion times plus better than that. The best dad in the room is a pale reflection of the magnificence of the Father. But in the silence, it's easy to forget that and believe that because he's silent, we are abandoned, we are forgotten, and we are lost. But we're not. Jesus would leave that garden. He would drink the cup. And today... We are here 
I am here. Billions of us are here because in the silence, Jesus trusted the Father and drank the cup and allowed the Father to do what only the Father could do. Just for a moment, if you just close your eyes just where you're sitting, I would love that. The band will lead us in a song in just a moment. I am two minutes and I am done. But I do have some compassion and faith in my heart for anyone in this room who's feeling like, John, I'm in that place of silence. And if that sermon was for nobody else, it was for me. And I want to pray for you. I'm looking around the room. Eyes are closed. People are prayerful. If that's you, and you know the Lord has spoken to you, I have some faith in my heart to pray for you. Then right where you're sitting, I would love you to do just one very simple but courageous thing. I would love you to just stand where you are. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But in an act of faith, I'm asking you to say, John, I'm in the place of silence. Will you pray for me that somehow I will find confidence, security and faith in the Father to trust him in the silence and to lean into him? If that's you, right where you're sitting, just stand. I'm going to keep this open for about 10 seconds, 15 seconds at the most. It's not a big thing. You'll know who you are don't need to drag it out. If that's you, just respond now. Beautiful. Now for those that are standing, just one little thing I want you to do. Just hold your hands out in front of you as if you are receiving from the Father. And as I pray, I have faith in my heart that the word of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the truth of the Lord, the presence of the Lord can come right to where you are. Father, thank you for your children that are standing right now. Children that are finding the silence difficult. Father, Abba, I ask that you will come to every one of them. And Lord, with the reassurance of your touch, the reassurance of your word, the reassurance of your presence, you will remind them that, Lord, you are with them. That you will never abandon them. That in the midst of of the disappointment and even confusion, you are still there with them. And Lord, I pray in your name and in the authority that you have given me that Lord, every one of them now will be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, strengthened by the Word of God, strengthened by truth that goes beyond our experience, strengthened by the reality of who you are, And the fact that, Lord, you will only do what is good. And so, Lord, I pray that you will draw near to them. I come against every weapon 
that the enemy would form against them. I come against anxiety and doubt and fear and worry. I come against, Lord, even even the, 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 the thought that they are alone and that, Lord, these ideas will be banished from their hearts forever, forever. And that, Lord, they will walk in your grace and walk in your mercy. For someone who's standing and you know the Father has already spoken, may you now have the grace, the strength, the courage, the faith to embrace the word of the Father and do his will. His will for you is better than any desire for yourself. May not seem like it right now, but ultimately and gloriously, his will is best. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. May you bless them and keep them. May you lift your face toward them and be gracious to them. And may you turn your face towards them, O God, and give them your peace. In Jesus' name. Why don't we all stand together? The band are going to lead us. As they lead us, can I encourage you? Lift your hearts. Lift your hands to the Father, to the God who is with you, even in the silence. To the God who will never leave you and never forsake you. And to the God who will finish the work in you that he started for you. In Jesus' name.